And so we're continuing our, our study today. If you want to turn over to the book of Ephesians, we're continuing our study of the book of Ephesians and what we call the mystery of the church. This, this series is the mystery of the church. And we've studied, we've already finished chapters 1 through 3. And chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he talks in there about the unseen realm. Chapters 1 through 3 are all about the unseen realm, what he calls heavenly places. And he tells us about these heavenly places. How many know the unseen realm? How many know there is an unseen realm? There is a life that is beyond what we see and touch and feel. It's unseen realm. Paul calls it the, the, un, the heavenly places. It's actually the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm. Last Sunday, we began chapter 4. And chapters 4 through six are, 6 are about how we live out heavenly places in the earth. How many know it's possible? In fact, it's life-changing when you come to the understanding that we can live heavenly places. We can live heaven in the earth. We don't have to wait till we die to go to heaven. We can live heaven right now because the king of the heavens lives within us and he lives in us. Amen? And so that's what chapters 4 through 6 are all about. And what I want you to see and understand through this series is there are two kingdoms in this world. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God. It's the unseen realm. It's heavenly places. It's the, the, the realm of the spirit. Say realm of the spirit. Do you know the realm of the spirit is accessible to you right now as the realm of the natural world? The realm of the spirit is accessible. But there's two kingdoms. The, there's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of the earth. The Bible calls it the kingdoms of man or the kingdoms of the earth. They're the natural, natural realm. They're, they're temporal, and, and they're what we can see and touch and feel. And I want to tell you, they're not evil, except for the way that we make them evil. How do we know God intended us to live in a natural world. Go back to the book in the Genesis in the garden. The intent, God's intent was for us to live in the natural world, but live in heavenly places in the natural world. There was fellowship with God. There was, there was spiritual things taking place in the natural things. But this thing called sin entered the world and it began to destroy the natural and it began to cut off people's awareness of the spiritual. And so today you have people that are more focused on the things of the world than they are focused on the things of the spirit. Is this making sense to you? Okay. The question I have, the first question, is what kingdom are you a part of? What kingdom are you focused on? What kingdom has your attention more than the other? Our theme verse for this, uh, this series, uh, The Mystery of the Church, our theme verse, even though we're doing a study of Ephesians, our theme verse is out of Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, and it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. How do we you know this? The world we live in, the earth, is designed... Uh, it's designed in its corrupt manner to draw your attention to natural things, to draw you away from spiritual things. That's the intent of the spirit of the world, 
okay? I said this last week uh, uh, in our Wednesday prayer and worship time. How many know we have a prayer and worship time every Wednesday from 5 to 6? Amen. It's a wonderful time. Our focus is prayer. I mean, that's a good thing. I told you, we will pray for you. Your prayer requests will be laid out on the altar here, and we'll pray over you and those that come in from from you at home. uh, We pray over those things. But I said this last week, the highest and greatest calling in life is to seek after God. Your highest calling is to seek after God. He calls you, he calls us to himself. He says, I want you to come closer to me. He's always calling us closer. And it is incumbent, it's our responsibility to respond to that by drawing close to him. Are you hearing me? And we do that by searching him out. That's why I say that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. If you put it in, in, in my version, it's the glory of God to create mystery. God loves to create mystery. Not to hide things from us, but to hide things for us to search out and find. How many know his spirit is something that is hidden in this natural world? It's hidden for us to search out. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than searching out him and his presence and finding him. God promises, 1 Chronicles 28, 9, he says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. It's a promise. If you seek God, he will be found. The question for all of us is, what are you seeking? What are you seeking in this world? Too many people are seeking after the things of the earth, after the things of the world. We want this and we want that. We see a car. We want fame. We want, we want the best job. We want all of these things. We're seeking after the things of the spirit of the world. You see, too many people today seek provision and not the provider. There's a difference. Too many people, what's that? Too many people are seeking after provision and not the provider. Too many people are seeking after healing and not the healer. Too many people today are seeking after the blessing and not the blesser. Are you hearing me, church? You see, I believe that we will begin to experience more healing and more transformation when we begin to seek him who is the blesser, who is the healer, who is the provider. Can somebody say amen? Deuteronomy 4.29, and you're probably wondering, when is he ever going to get to Ephesians? I promise I will. I'm almost there, right? Deuteronomy 4.29 says, you will find him. Say, read this with me. You will find him if... You seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. The greatest obstacle to finding God, to finding his presence, and to to knowing him is that word all. You see, we most of us seek him in the process of seeking all the things of the world. We want all of these other things, and our, our seeking and our attention is divided. And we're not going after him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, all of our energy. Because he promises, if you do, if you do, you will find 
him, you will find the blesser. You will find the provider. You will find the healer. It's a promise. Amen? So now let's get to Ephesians. Ephesians 4, we're going to start reading at verse 7. And this is a passage that we often, this is one of those passages of the Bible that we often just kind of read right over because it's, you know, and in, in if you first look at it, just kind of a little convoluted. It's like, what does that all that mean? He, he even asked in here, what does this mean, right? And, and so we, we kind of skip over it to get to, you know, apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and all that discussion. But let's read this together. Ephesians 4, verse 7 says this, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, what is he talking about there? When he ascended into heavenly places, right? When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? See, there he even asked, what does this mean? What does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill, that he might fill all things. That word there, fill, means complete. And finish. How many know God wants to complete and finish? He wants us to be whole. Can somebody say amen? Father, we thank you, Lord, today. We pray, Lord, as we search out your scriptures, search out your word, Lord, that what we will find is you. You are the word. And Lord, we seek this word. We ask you, Lord, to make it clear to us, Lord, that we would know you, that we would know your word and what it is you are conveying and teaching us this morning. We open our hearts, Lord, that you may fill us with all that you desire today in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message today is The Measure of Grace. The word grace is an interesting word. We talk about it a lot, but it, it comes from a Greek word, kadis. And the word kadis actually means that, listen to this, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. I'm going to say that again. Grace is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. Now, the point that I make there is a lot of times we think of grace as something we receive. We go to God and he gives us grace. But the true word, kadis, is, is about the divine influence. Yes, we go to God. He calls us to us. God is forever calling you to himself. When we come to him, what we find is in this relationship of, of constantly coming before God and God filling us. And what we find is, is that there is a divine influence. When we come to God, our hearts change. There's a divine influence upon our heart and it changes our life. It is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life changes that comes because of this interaction with God. Can you hear me? And it says, including gratitude, because all of a sudden you step back in life. How many have ever stepped back and go, man, I've changed. I've done it so much. I look and I go, wow, I've changed. 
and I, I, I see this area of my life or that area of my life. I've changed. Ephesians 4, 7, he starts out this passage and says, but to each one of us, grace, this grace was given. What was given? It was given this divine influence upon our heart because we're seeking after him. And to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure. That word measure actually in the Greek is, the, is degree. The, to each one of us, grace was given to the measure, to the degree of Christ's gift. The word gift there, if you look that up in the Greek, is the word sacrifice. Grace was given to the degree of his sacrifice. Does that make sense? His grace calling us to him. How many know without his sacrifice, we could never come before the throne, the throne of grace? There was a curtain, right? There was a blockade. There was a restriction. You couldn't come to him. And so because of his sacrifice, he calls us, he says, come up hither. He calls us, he says, come boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy in a time of need. He tells us to come. And when we come, we find this, there's this divine influence and, and, and it changes our life and it changes who we are. And it's all because of sacrifice. He says, to each one of us, that grace was given according to the degree or to the measure of his sacrifice. Ephesians 4.1, Paul goes back. This is what we talked about last week. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. That word walk worthy means to, to live our life in accordance to what he did for us. It's the same thing here. That this, this gift was given according to the measure of Christ's sacrifice. It's the same, it's the same rhythm, if you will, in these passive scriptures. He's trying to convey to us that everything he does for us is according to what he's already done for us. Everything we do, everything we live, our lives are all according to his sacrifice. Why are we here? How do we, how do we worship? How do we come before his throne of grace? How do we find the, the provider, the healer? And how do we find him? How do we come boldly? We do it according to his sacrifice. We walk this life worthy of, of the sacrifice he's made. Can somebody say amen? I'm going to tell you that there is this space between where you're at and the level in which you're pursuing God and the worthiness of his sacrifice. And God is saying, don't leave that space. Get all of me. Does that make any sense? Am I, am I making that too confusing? It's, it's kind of like you. some people go so far and they stop. And that's why he's always saying, no, come up hither. Come up closer. Come further. Don't stop there. There's so much more of my sacrifice for you to take part in. So much more of his grace. We have a little gift today. I, uh, how many got one of these when you came in? You're wondering, like, what is this all about? Well, what it's all about is to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure I know it's kind of a little funny thing, but we gave these out a couple years ago, and I was studying this message. I opened up my cabinet, and there's this whole bag left of them, and I said, that would be great to remind people that 
of the measure of Christ's grace. So when you look at this, take it home, it's yours. But remember, every time you look at it, there's a measure of his grace based on his sacrifice. Amen? That's why I was given to you. And remember, we're talking about gifts. He gave gifts, so we give you a gift, right? In this passage, though, today, I better get to my message, right? In this passage, there are three measures or degrees of grace. And I want to talk about those for a few moments. First, this passage speaks of Jesus, how he descended into the lower parts. Verse 9 says, now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that first he descended into the lower parts of, the, of, of heaven. He says that he ascended. But, but wait a minute, I got to tell you first that he first had to descend into the lower parts of earth before Jesus could become our Messiah. Before Jesus could become our Savior, he had to descend into the lower parts of the earth. He had to send, descend into the depth that those deep, dark parts of lost humanity that sin had corrupted. He had to descend into that. He had to descend into the depths of a sin-ridden world. Jesus was at the right hand of the Father, right? He had to descend into this world of sin, this, this place of, of darkness. He had to descend. The Bible says that he came down, he ate and drank with tax collectors, and he became a friend of sinners. He had to descend before he could ever ascend with us. There are three degrees or levels to which he descended. I want you to hear this. He first descended into the earth, the earth as we know it, sin-ridden earth, and all of its sin, tax collectors, and, you know, the Bible talks about tax I'm not talking negative about IRS people, but, but, uh, you know, tax collectors were the epitome of corruption in this day, and he came, and he was, and he descended into the world. But then he had, to, he had to die on the cross. And the Bible says he descended into the lower parts, into hell or Hades. Why? Because there were people that were locked up in prison in hell because Jesus hadn't come to release them. He had to descend there. But the other, I told you three degrees, is he had to descend into our hearts. You see, the last great place for him to descend is in our hearts the hearts of the living. He descended into our hearts and lives, inviting Jesus into our heart and lives, which we call salvation. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. How many know it? You're saved, and, and that becomes, we invite him in. We become saved. We are saved. But there's another degree that we have to we have to invite him into the lower parts of our heart every one of us every one of us have secret places how many know there is a secret place to the most high and he's inviting us there how many of you have invited him into the secret place of the depths of your life those places that you don't want anybody to know those places that you're ashamed of those places where you're hurt those places where 
where the Bible says sin lurks at your door. Are you hearing me, church? See, we have to invite him. The psalmist writes in 139, 7 and 8, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. I want you to understand today that there is no place that God will not go to get you, that God will not go to heal you, to save you, to draw you out. There is no place you can go to hide from him if you open yourself to him. If you open. Jesus descended into our lowest places. But he didn't just descend to these places to stay there. He descended to bring us out. He will not leave you where you're at. Look at somebody next to you and say, Jesus will not leave you where you're at. He will not. I need to hear that every day. You see, because I don't want to be where I'm at right now, now, tomorrow. I don't want to be where I'm at right now, next week or a year from now. So he comes to bring us to where he is. It's called spiritual growth. And so the second thing, that the second degree or measure that I want you to see today in this passage is Jesus ascended far above what? All. How many know Jesus ascended above all? We learn through scripture that his name is above every name. His name is above sickness. His name is above poverty. His name is above addiction. His name is above all. He ascended above all. He ascended to that place where he is above everything. We have to understand that Jesus is Lord of everything. And when he is Lord of everything, he is Lord of everything. Amen? That's part of but we have to open those areas of our heart and lives because he will not become Lord when we don't open our life up to him to be Lord. Somebody say amen. Verse 10 says, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, far above all the heavens, that he might, that word fill is finish or complete, that he might finish or complete all things. How many know he wants to complete you? He wants to make you whole. And until we open up every area of our heart, our fears, our, uh, the things that, that maybe those hidden things, are, until we open up, he can't finish us. He can't make us completely whole. But I want you to understand no matter what, he stands at the door, the Bible says, and knocks. He stands there and he's knocking and he's knocking and he's knocking. Jesus is not willing to leave you where you're at. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How many know that that day that you said, maybe today is that day that you're going to say, God, I invite you to come into my life change me forever. Maybe today's that day, but that day that you said it, it's the Bible says he began to do a good work in you. He began to do a good work in you. There are three degrees to salvation that most people don't really realize. And this is one of the things that keeps people from growing spiritually. There's the day we invite him in and we are saved. You invite him in, 
You invite him. You pray that prayer of faith. You invite him into your life. You are saved. But the Bible also speaks of us, of those being saved. How many know that we can be saved but still have issues with sin? So every day we're opening our life, we're opening ourselves to him to do a work, and that is called being saved. How many know today, right now, I'm being saved? This week when I go to the Lord in prayer and when I seek after him, I'm being saved. Why? Because that divine influence upon my heart and the changes in my life, that interaction and that relationship with God is me being saved. But then the third degree is there comes a day where we will stand before God and he'll say, it's finished. It's done. And we will be saved for all eternity. Amen? Ephesians uh, 2, 4, and 6. Kind of go back to Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 6. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, how many of you have been in dead in trespasses? Even when you were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, that by grace, grace you have been saved. Yeah. Saved when you invited him in. Done deal. Saved. Saved being saved because you're inviting him and you're coming before him every day and there's this divine influence. By grace you have been saved. And verse 6, and raised up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. You see, he descended into our lives to bring us out. That's where the church comes in. The church is the called out. He descended into our lives to call us out of the things of this world, to call us out of that life of sin, to call us out of those places, those deep, dark places. He descended into our life to bring us out into real life. How many know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the real life? Every Friday morning, the men's breakfast, Randy says, I want real butter. <laughs> Not that fake, you know, soft stuff on real but how many know I want real life Jesus is real life you'll never forget that one Randy every time you say real but you're gonna think of real life amen so Jesus came into these deep dark places to draw us out to ascend there's an old song I knew if I mentioned this or this week that I, Pastor Lisa would feel like she had to sing it and I didn't want to put something else on her but there's an old song that we sing. Listen to these words. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. Beautiful song. It's so true. Jesus descended into our lives so he could raise us up to sit with him in heavenly places. And that's a big hallelujah, right? He will not leave you where you're at. He has a goal for you. And often that place between where you've stopped and his grace is the place where he's calling you to sit with him in heavenly places. Keep going, church. The third thing I want you to see, probably one of the most powerful things here is he freed us from prison. He freed us from prison. The Bible tells us, we have all sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. Your sin is probably different than my sin, but it's all sin. Okay? It's all sin. And the Bible says all of us, every one of us, none accepted, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of you, all of us, we've all been held captive in prison to sin. None of us are included in this statement. He freed us. Jesus freed us from prison. You know, some of us, may, it may have been that we were captive, a prisoner to, to some form of addiction, but we were held captive. It may be that we were addicted to lying, or maybe we, some people were addicted to alcohol. Some people were addicted to drugs, pornography. All of those things are sin. They're sin. They're sin. And he freed us from those bonds of sin. As we sang in the song in worship that he broke our chains. He broke the chains of sin. He broke the Change the imprisonment of our sins and set us free. Verse 8 says, therefore he says when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. When I was 18 years old, some of you have heard this story. I was out with some of my friends one night and we got into some trouble and I got arrested. Okay, there it goes. Okay, got arrested, taken to jail, spent the night in jail, and uh, not much fun, okay? Didn't want to tell my mom and dad, so I called my older brother. He came and bailed me out, but my mom and dad knew. So I walk in the house the next day because I'd been in jail all night, and, uh, and laying on my bed was a brand new pair of jeans and a brand new shirt. I'll never forget that day. Because when I came home, there wasn't judgment. There wasn't people saying, how could you do such a thing? You've embarrassed me. No, there was a brand new pair of jeans and a brand new shirt. Their response was they, brought, they gave gifts we didn't mean we didn't have conversation later, okay? But the first response was, I love you. I want you to remember, I love you. I care for you. Jesus came to set us free. Not by bringing judgment. He came to bring us gifts, the Bible says. Luke 4, 8 through 19. Jesus goes into the temple. The temple in the story is a type and shadow of you, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. He goes into the temple, the Bible, and he says he, he stood up to read. How many know Jesus is the Word? He was reading himself in, in our temple. The Word is reading Jesus. Amen. Verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
I'm going to tell you this morning, church, there is a temple. Those words can ring in that temple. Jesus has come to set you free. To set you free. He came so that we can be free from the prisons, from the chains that have held us back. Not with judgment, but he says he brought gifts. I want to ask the worship team to come on up while they are. I want to go back to verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace, remember grace, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in our life. I said, I'll never forget that, that pair of jeans and that yellow shirt because it changed my life. I remember it every time. Every, every day I talk about things like this, I remember it. It's the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in our lives. But he, to each of us, that's you, that's me, each of us, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift, the finished work, according to the work he has finished for our lives. You see, Jesus, in this story he talks about, I'm going to say he talks about two different gifts, but One gift is what we'll talk about next week, the gift that he gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors. We'll we'll talk about that next week. But the greatest gift of all is Jesus himself. Jesus himself, that when we come to him, he promises to respond. When we come to him and open our heart, he promises to come in. When we say, Lord, what's holding me back? He'll come in and he'll tell you. He'll proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord in your temple right now, today, and every day in your life. Jesus came bearing gifts. The Bible teaches us in Proverbs 18, 16, a man's gift makes room for him. Jesus brought gifts to make room in your heart. A man's gift makes room for him. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? What I want you to see this morning out of all of this. Jesus doesn't come. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict to make you feel bad, to bring judgment. Jesus comes to bring you out of that place. He comes to descend to the lower parts of wherever you're at, whatever you've gone through. Maybe you're here and you're, you're, you're saved. You, you've, you've given him your life. You're saved. But maybe there are things in your heart you're still ashamed of or that hasn't been placed under the blood or maybe things in your heart that, that all of a sudden when you least expect it pop up and, and it's like, where did that come from? I wanted you to see that those are the deep depth parts of our mind and our souls that he's come to take us out of. He's come to heal. He's come to set you free from those things. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's pain. Whatever it may be, he's come to set you free. So right now, as with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, I... If there is anyone here and you, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, 
I'm going to give you an opportunity, but there's more I want to do with this, with this response. So if you're here this, today and you just, this message, these words have resonated in your heart and you say, I want this, I need Jesus in my life. I just want you just, everybody's there, your head's bowed, your eyes closed, just, just lift your hand because I want to identify you to pray for you. If you're here today and say, I want Jesus in my life. I want to give him my life and my heart. I want to invite him in today. Just lift your hand right now. This might be the first time. This might be, this might be a time where you've wandered from him, but you're saying, I want to come back. I want this relationship. Each one of us have places in our hearts. Sometimes we don't even know. We don't even know what's behind some of those doors in our heart. We just know how we respond. We just know how things happen, and all of a sudden we find ourselves backwards again. Right now, Right now in this place, this morning, just simply say, Holy Spirit, I'm inviting you in to the very depths, the uttermost of my own heart, my soul, my past, my memories, my experiences. I invite you in, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, come into that place Shine a light, shine your light on that place in my life. I pray for forgiveness. I ask you, forgive me for that. But Lord, I ask you to come and fill me. Fill me with your presence. Wash me with your blood. Cover me with your fresh anointing. If that's you, just right now, just pray that. You don't have to pray those words. Just simply say, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to come to the very depths of my heart, even those doors and those rooms in my own heart that I, I don't even know are there. I ask you, Lord, to come in. Heal. Change. Transform me. Father, I, I pray, Lord, today as each one of us are contemplating these things in our lives. God, I pray that it won't stop because the service stops. Lord, I pray that my interaction with you, with you will keep growing. And I'll have that, truly that divine influence, Lord, of a relationship with you that will change my life forever. Change my